0: My name is T. Lusk, and I get to serve as the college and young adults pastor at Rolling Hills. And outside of that, I also have the pleasure of serving on the board of 413 Strong. And you heard a little bit about that last week, and uh, the love everyone always uh, um, challenged for this uh, for this past week. Uh, but I'm here today to introduce you to and, and hear a little bit more about 413 Strong uh, with the president, uh, Steve Norris. And uh, Steve, you know, there's lots of folks who who maybe have heard just a little bit,
1: but we. Just, if you don't mind just telling us a little more about 413. Sure. I, we oper, operate basically under a, a pretty simple principle, and that is every man deserves an opportunity to become the man God intended. Right? The past doesn't matter. Um, and So we, we exist to give men that opportunity, um, to pour into them, to love them, to equip them with the tools they need to get their life back on the right track and start growing into the men that God intended.
0: In your perspective and you've been doing this for a while you've seen a lot of guys come through what would be some of the biggest challenges that 413 faces and, and the guys that have come up that are a part of it face yeah. on a regular basis you No, know, it's
1: um you know, one of the biggest ones is you know when the guys come to us if they really want to make a change in their life and they really want to kind of accelerate towards uh, becoming that man that god intended them for them to be they got to leave behind some of the their old distractions and some of the things that have caused them to mess up in the past and for Unfortunately, unfortunately for a lot of the guys, that means leaving behind some family and some friends. I mean, that's a tough decision. It's really hard to tell a guy that you need to leave leave alone your family if you want to make progress towards uh, moving more in the direction that God has intended you to do. A lot of them just aren't used to things going well. And so when they, they start following the path that we lay out for them, they start finding success, they start getting uncomfortable. And they start thinking things like, I don't deserve this, or this isn't going to last, and they end up self-sabotaging. They just go back to what
0: they know. Just in current cultural climate right now, what are you guys doing uh, just to address some of the racial tension and, and so forth
1: that, um, that we see in our, in, in our world right now through the program? Okay. You know, For us, our program is all about building the man that God intended us to be. And lucky for us, the Bible provides a pretty good blueprint for what that looks like. You know, the Bible calls men to uh, lead, to protect, to provide, to create, to cultivate, and above all else, to love, right? And so at 413 Strong, we're all about helping men find their footing and begin that journey, right? And so the men that come to us are starting that journey from a lot of different places. And, and that starting point has a lot to do with things like... Uh, their skin color and their family structure and some of the life experiences they've had growing up uh, Some of the educational opportunities that they've either had or haven't had all those are things that are beyond their control um, But So you know kind of when they come to us that journey can either you know take longer for some men or be harder for some men than from others um, But it's not about the length of the journey, right? It's about starting that journey and then never stopping and surrounding yourself with other men that can help you so it's locking arms. It's, it's going through this journey together, encouraging each other, loving each other, uh, knowing what we're working towards because the Bible's laid it out for us. And it's hard, right? But in the end, it's worth it because stronger men means stronger families, and stronger families means a stronger community.
0: One of the greatest blessings is just to really hear your heart. And obviously that's come out here in, in just our conversation. But if you just had to kind of package that up and say, this is my dream for 413 Strong. Um, how, how would you put that to words?
1: I mean, every man that comes here, whether whether it's a guy going through the program or a man who's volunteering, to know that that God loves him, that there is a plan for him, that they accept the model of manhood that Jesus laid down for us, and that they just never stop growing.
0: As people are watching today, if you said, "Hey, this is one way that you could get involved," you know, they had an opportunity last week with uh, "Love Everyone Always," but. What, could you, what would you say right now is the greatest need that we have um, for people to get involved?
1: Just show up. I mean, it's, it's be a part of this journey that these guys are going on, um, whether it's being a part of a, one of the small groups that we're doing uh, during the week or it's uh, the Bible study on Friday, it's an adventure on Saturday, um, or we make something up, come out and be with us. Um, because the men going through the program just need to be surrounded by other men, um, and they need to have that example in their life of what a real man is.
2: Uh, We need each other, don't we? I need you, you need me. Uh, I love Steve and his heart, and this is an organization that is near and dear to my heart. Um, I remember having known Steve for a number of years now. I had a privilege to sit down with him and have a conversation with him about 413 Strong. Before it was 413 Strong, it was something else. And, And just to see what God has done in his life and what God has done in this ministry is nothing short of a miracle because what happens is you're reminded when you go serve with 413 Strong that you can learn and that you have something uh, to offer. That the, the, the greatest significant uh, impact that you can ever have on someone's life is relationships. And it's sitting knee-to-knee with someone. Now we do that quite a bit a ways away. But it's sitting face-to-face with someone. It's encouraging them. It's challenging them. It's bringing out the best in them. I need that. And you need that. And there are so many brothers and sisters across the globe that need that. And I love this video today because it perfectly sets up where we're going today. You and I play a part in being The church. You and I play a part in being the team. In fact, I want you to think for a second about all of the teams that you have served on. Maybe you've had a great team. I hope that at this point in your life, you have had at least one great team that you served on. And I want to ask you, what truly made that a Good team. And there's probably a lot of elements that contributed to that to to lead to a great team. I want to show you a couple of great teams up here. First, we have the 1992 Olympic basketball dream team. Does anybody remember watching the Olympics back in 1992? And these guys were just uh, phenomenal. It's been described by many uh, of sports commentators as the greatest sports team that's ever assembled. They won the gold medal in uh, basketball for the United States of America. And so this team had some incredible players on it, guys like Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen, Carl Malone, Larry Bird, David Robinson, Magic Johnson, just to name a few. And what was so cool is that most of these guys were at the height of their career when they came together to be on the Dream Team. So they were unstoppable. I mean, there was not a country in the world that could could compete with uh, the USA when, when it came to the '92 Olympic Dream Team. Now, there's another team that I want to share with you. This is the 1996 U.S. Gymnastics Women's Team. This is my wife's favorite team. I think we uh, she loves uh, reflecting up on this moment because the 1996 Olympics were in Atlanta, and I mean, and it was just such a, 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 an amazing experience. It was the first ever women's gold medal for the team competition. But what we probably all remember, it was accentuated by this uh, young lady here, second to the left, named Carrie Strug. You guys remember on the first vault, she hurt her ankle? And you think to yourself, all she has to do, if we are going to win the gold, if she is able to stick the vault, she does not just stick the vault. She sticks it perfectly on a leg that is basically like so severely sprained, and and you have that moment of you're just, I mean, you rise up and you jump and you're chanting, USA, USA, because it's just awesome. You feel it deep inside your bones, and you're thinking to yourself, what a great team. Now, maybe the team that you're thinking of right now did not have such a dramatic international moment as these teams did, but I hope that you're able to think of a team right now that was a blessing to be up on, in fact, if you've served on a great team, you would probably, would probably be the first to say that, you know what, we were a team that had some wins and we were a team that had some losses. In fact, if I talk to people who supervise teams or if I were to go and poll coaches and ask them about what makes a great team, many times they will say that the best team has the following things. This is what all really good teams have set in motion. There, there's an understanding that the whole is greater than the individual parts. When it comes to a really good team, most coaches will say that the individual members of the team are able to put the needs of the others on the team above their own, that they look at the needs of everyone else and they say, "You want it? your needs are more important than my own, and so I'm going to sacrifice for you. Coaches will say that the best teams win together and lose together. When we lose, we lose big. When we win, we win big. It's not one person who made the win happen, and it's not one person who made the loss happen. Coaches and supervisors will say that the best teams are there for one another, that when you need me, I'm there. When I need you, you are there. And I would add that the best teams have a sense of mission. The best teams have a sense of vision. There's something that's compelling them to do what it is that they are there to do, that they're not just some random group of people that have just come together for no specific purpose or no specific reason. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a member of the team. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ or you're still searching or you're still trying to understand who it is that God has made you to be, then I want to invite you today to join the team. Because, see, you are a part of the body of Christ, and I hope and pray that as a result of that, that you would feel it inside your bones, that you are a part of the most significant team that has ever been placed together in history. You're a part of the church, and the church is God's plan A to change the world. The church is God's plan A to go and make a difference in the lives of people. And I hope and pray that today as a result of what we encounter in God's word that you'll grow in your desire to contribute to the team to the way that the Lord would have you and that he would ultimately give you a sense, maybe a greater sense or for some of us maybe a sense for the very first time about what our purpose is and the team that he has assembled and what it means to be a brother and sister to those who are around us and to those who are in need. Know that I'm so grateful that you are here with us today, and if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and open to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 verses 19 through 30 is going to be our primary text. As David said, if you don't have the mobile app, uh, please download that because you can access God's Word on that. These words are also going to be up here on the screen for us as well. But Acts chapter 11 verses 19 through 30 is the primary text that we're going to be looking at this morning. But I want to give you a backstory over the last two weeks because over the last two weeks we were introduced to this character named Saul. And two weeks ago, Saul was on the road to Damascus, and he had this. Very dramatic encounter with God. And he goes into a season of physical and literal figurative blindness. And for three days, he is blind. And yet in the midst of that blindness, God speaks to him and says, I have a plan for you. I want you to go and reach the Gentiles and to remind them that I have a plan for their life, that I'm not just for the Jewish population, but that I'm for the Gentiles. I'm for the Greeks. I'm from everyone who doesn't know Jesus just quite yet. And so Saul accepts that teaching of Jesus and he changes his mission from a very evil mission to a very godly mission and what did Saul do we talked about this last week he doesn't just sit on his hands and wait for some big assignment he just goes Saul found what was the most comfortable to him, which was the synagogue. He was a very, very trained Jewish leader, and so it just made sense for him to go to the synagogue, and he goes into the synagogue and starts telling people that Jesus is making a way. Jesus is the Messiah. He is here. Some of you have missed him, but he is here, and he is the one that's going to make everything right, and in fact, he's not just for the Jewish people, but he is for all of the Gentiles as well, and you can imagine that that did not go over so well with some of the first century Jewish leaders. In fact, we catch some glimpses of this last week, and you're going to catch some more glimpses of this today, but Saul had some amazing people who locked arms with him and vouched for him. Saul went early to the first century disciples and said, hey guys, I just came to know Jesus. Now, I'm sure he probably didn't say it that way, but he came to them and said, hey guys, I just met Jesus. I just met Jesus. I'm on your team now, and what did they think? Um, no, I don't think that you're on the team just quite yet because uh, four and a half days ago, you were trying to kill us. And now you're trying to join us. But yet, see, Saul had a man named Barnabas who stepped in. And we're going to learn more about Barnabas today, but Saul had folks who would stand in the gap for him and say, no, he can be trusted. He is my brother. And as a result of him being my brother, we're going to work together in this. And so in chapters 9, 10, and 11, God starts doing something so incredible. In fact, in chapters 10 and 11, we begin to see that God is calling others to continue to spread the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. There's this guy named Peter who is one of the first century disciples as well, and he receives this vision. This is in chapters 10 and 11. He receives this vision, and Cornelius sends for Peter, and Peter realizes that it's not his place anymore to call a Gentile person impure or to call them unclean. Look at what Peter says in Acts chapter 10, verse 28. This is right before the text that we're going to read today. In Acts chapter 10, verse 28. He says that, He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. See, he's found an audience of circumcised believers, Jewish men, And he's explaining to them this vision that it's no longer right for me to call anybody impure or to call anybody unclean. This is a huge deal. In fact, this is such a huge deal that most of us cannot even begin to fathom this because in the first century, there was such a divide between the Jewish population and the Gentiles. And so for a guy like Peter to come and say, or a guy like Saul to come and say, God is making a way so that everybody can know him, this was truly earth shattering. And Peter joins the team. Saul's on the team. Barnabas is on the team. And they start proclaiming this message. And look at what happens in Acts chapter 11, verse 18. He's speaking this to this population of Jewish leaders. And when they heard this, they had no further objections. And they praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to faith. Peter's a very persuasive speaker. He is able to help them understand that they no longer have any objections, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life, which leads us to a point today that is so significant for our understanding of the team that God is asking us to be, and you see it here on the screen, but when God is making a way, I should never stand in the way, amen? When God is making a way, I should never stand in the way. What does that look like for you? See, for the first century Jews, it was acknowledging that God is who he said he is and that Jesus came to do exactly what he said to do. And you've got guys like Peter and Saul who say, I don't want you to try to snuff out that fire. I want you to add fuel to it. I don't want you to stand in the way of what God's doing. I want you to add some uh, lighter fluid to this so that this thing explodes and so that it gets bigger than it currently is. See, it should be our desire. If you're here and you're a part of the team, it should be our desire to be on the right part of the story. It should be our desire to align up with the right elements of the story. In fact, do you want to spend your life and your energy in opposition, in criticism to what God is doing? Do you want to be the person who sees God moving and you step back in the corner with your arms crossed and say, yeah, we'll see if this really makes it? We'll see if this really lasts. Oh, great idea, young lady. You're going to grow up, and you're going to realize just how broken this world really is, and that fire and that energy and that passion is going to go by the wayside. Some of us laugh, but that's how some of us choose to live our lives. You know those people, don't you? You know those people that you would never bring a dream or you would never bring anything exciting to. Why? Because their middle name is Wet Blanket. And they love to just douse some water on your plans or water on your dreams, Do you want to be that type of person who stands in the way of what God could be doing? Or do you want to be the person that says, step on up? That's a great idea. That's a great vision. I don't know how we're going to do it, but you can count me in. And I will help contribute to that. See, it's been my experience, and maybe this has been your experience as well. And I I don't have any research to back this up. I'm just basing this on 10-plus years of anecdotal pastoral ministry. It's been my experience that some of the most critical people in the world— people who choose to stand in the way, and this is even in Christ followers, people who choose to kind of stand in the way, people who always have contention, people who are always glass half full, people are glass half empty, I'm sorry, people who are always just kind of looking to pick apart and identify all the problems for you. It's been my experience that if that's your line of thinking, you tend to really not be part of the team. In fact, you tend to kind of have a a lot of... um, unhealthy relationships or no relationships at all which underscores the importance of brotherhood and being there for one another that's why this is so important in fact it's been my experience that some of the most critical people in the world tend to criticize in isolation and what do we use we have keyboards and and phones and and everything that will allow me you know to to criticize without actually doing anything about it and The reality is, if that's the life that I choose to live, then I am missing something that only relationships can bring. And I'm missing something that only brotherhood and sisterhood could bring because what is the beauty, what is the value of people? It's that I can bring an idea to you and you can help me flesh it out. You can bring an idea to me and I can hear your heart in that matter. And that's exactly what's happening here in the first century. So look at verses uh, 19 through 30 of Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and to began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord." And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So this passage of Scripture starts when Stephen has been martyred, and Stephen was the first Christian martyr, and as a result of that, the people began to scatter. Uh, duh. I mean, think about it. Christianity at this moment in time is what? It's like, it's like a baby. It's in its very infant stage. And the people who are following Jesus are getting stoned to death in the public square. Uh, If I'm a follower of Jesus, what am I probably going to do? Not wait around for the stones to hit me either. So I start scattering, and people start scattering, and yet they still take the message with them, though. They scatter out of that moment, and some of them head to places like Phoenicia and Cyprus, and they start sharing with the Jews who are there. And then you have this other group who goes to Antioch, and they start sharing with Gentiles. And they start saying, the Lord is with you and it's recorded here in Scripture that the Lord's hand was with them. And the message starts getting steam, and you see a picture of them here going together. But did you notice what served as the jumping off point? It's in verse 19. It was the persecution that served as the catalyst. It wasn't times of plenty that served as the catalyst, it was persecution. The trial was not wasted. And you see it there in your notes and you see it up here on the screen as well the trials that you experience can serve as one of the greatest catalysts for your faith to be shared if you're going through a trial right now it can serve as one of the a1a greatest catalysts in your life ever for your faith to be shared some of us for honest though will have to come to grips with the fact that we've wasted trials in our life we've gone through challenges we've gone through obstacles we've gone through really difficult circumstances And we tend to waste those experiences when we go through all those circumstances alone. When we live in isolation and when we choose to not invite people into our life, when we choose to not invite people into the darkest parts of our life, or when we choose not to invite people into our struggles, when we choose not to invite people into our failures, then it's not going to be um, easy for us to allow God to use that trial. In fact, it may very well be wasted. But yet these trials served as a great catalyst for the message of the gospel to be spread. So my encouragement to you today is you find yourself a sisterhood or you find yourself a brotherhood of other believers that will be a guardrail for you so that you don't waste the trials in your life. In fact, so that you could be a person like the early apostles who say, I consider it pure joy when I go through trials of many kinds. In fact, the early disciples said we can count it ourselves worthy to be persecuted for the name. Of Jesus. How can you consider yourself worthy to be persecuted for the name? Because you're not standing out there by yourself. You have a group of people who are lined up with you, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, who will say, you know what, I'm going to be a guardrail in your life so that no matter what you go through, we are going to invite and allow God to use this to shape and mold you and to point other people to that life giving relationship with Jesus. Have you noticed in your life that the people that you tend to trust the most? And just get somebody in your head. The people that you tend to trust the most are probably not people who spout that life is perfect all the time. Right? People who spout that life is perfect all the time. What do I choose to do with that person? You just stay over there on your perfect shelf. I'll be over here. I'll be over here with the Motley (laughs) crew, leading the pack. (laughs) I'll be over here with the, the folks that maybe are okay with saying, you know what, life is not perfect all the time. And there is a challenge, and there are some struggles that we're going to go through. I love about this first century church, something had to be really important. Jesus had to be really important to you for you to be persecuted because of him and still choose to share him. Think about it for yourself. Something has to be really important to you for you to go through persecution and trials because of it and still wake up the next day and say, you know what, I want to choose to share that with others, when you're walking in brotherhood and sisterhood with others, you are so much more likely to grow in that than you ever will be when you're trying to figure this out on your own. It's why relationships are so important. It's why the relationships that you have in the church are so valuable. Is Jesus that for you? Does Jesus serve that role in your life? Because if if you're not desiring to serve him in times of plenty, then what makes you think that you're gonna desire to serve him in the midst of a challenge? or in the midst of a struggle, or when the pressures start coming in on us. It's why people are so important, and it's why the relationships that we have help breathe life into that and add fuel to the fire. Look at verse 22. News of this reached the church. It's news of the persecution, news of the the folks who are sharing with the Greeks and sharing with the Gentiles. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. I love Barnabas. Barnabas has has some problems a little bit later on, and we'll talk about that later on in the summer. But Barnabas, he was so prone to be the one that would stand up. Don't you want to be the guy in the crowd that when you're like, we're looking across the crowd and we need somebody to go because there's a mess going on up there and people are scared, we'll pick you. Don't you want to be that guy? Don't you want to be that lady? That the one when someone, when the team looks out and says, you know what, we got a problem, we need somebody that's going to go up there and give some hugs and give some encouragement and give some wisdom, we'll pick you. Now, we're never going to pick you because you always point out all the problems. But we're going to pick Barnabas because he's going to go, and it's something about his life that is going to speak life into others. And look at how uh, Barnabas is described. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Verse 23, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. You see this on the screen, but God will use your presence, God will use your words, God will use your support and encouragement to accomplish far more than you can imagine in the church. You have a gift right now inside of you that God wants to use so significantly. And part of it is presence, it's showing up, as Steve said in the video, part of it is words, part of it is support, part of it is encouragement, and a number of other things. It's how he used Barnabas here. We've already seen last week the benefit of Barnabas to Saul's life, and now we see it again. What does Barnabas do? He goes to those who are on the front lines of ministry, and he helps them. See, what made Barnabas so effective, according to Scripture, is that he was a good man. His intentions were very pure. He desired every day to say, you know what, I want to be on the right side of the story. He was full of the Holy Spirit. His agenda was set on God and not on the world. And he was full of faith. He trusted God more than he trusted in himself and trusted God more than he trusted in others. And if that's the life that you and I want to live, then we will not just wake up and naturally drift to that. That takes work and that takes intentionality and that takes a lot of discipline. But if you live this kind of life, I promise you your presence and your words and your encouragement will make a profound difference in the lives of others, a profound difference in the brothers and sisters that you get to journey with. But it also helps you. It also brings out more in you. I love Proverbs 11.25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. See, it's doubly a good idea. Your presence is needed because when your presence comes in the life of someone else, it helps them but you get blessed as a result of that. Have you ever done anything really significant and you were there to help someone? And in the recap, you know, minute testimony that you give, you say things like, I went to bless somebody else and I was blessed more in return. Has that ever happened to you? I hope that happens to you every time you serve. Every time I serve people, every time I serve with 413 Strong, every time I serve with The Bridge, every time I serve with Shower Up, I go to do some quote-unquote job or task and I walk away thinking to myself, um, is it selfish for me to realize that all I'm thinking about right now is how much that encouraged me or how much I, how much I needed to be in that moment? See, that's Proverbs 11.25. Whoever refreshes other people will be refreshed himself. It's what Barnabas is living out. See, when someone is need, it should be our desire to just show up. I've said this many times, but you will not encounter anybody today. There is not a person sitting in this room today that's encouragement cup is completely overflowed. There is nobody in this room today, there's nobody that you're going to encounter this week that is just completely full up on encouragement. Offer them a little bit of encouragement. Thank you so much, but I'm full. Thank you so much. Now, Thank you for those kind words, but I didn't need that. You know, 2020 has just been an easy-peasy year, and um, I didn't need any of that encouragement whatsoever. You will encounter no one that is living that, that kind of way of life. When someone comes to your mind, tell them. When you want to share with someone how you feel about them, don't worry about how they may respond to that. Just share with them and let them know that you love them. Let them know that you support them. Let your words be rich in the grace of Christ and not in criticism. That's why Ephesians 4.29, a little bit later, uh, Paul's going to write this to the church at Ephesus, to not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth, but what only that that is building up to others according to their needs, that it may benefit all of those who listen. See, if someone is in need, don't wait to serve them. Just serve them. Don't wait for all the right words. Speak some words. Don't wait for the right time to show up. Just show up and be present. And God will use that. He will strengthen others, but he will refresh you in that process. And so I hope and pray that you will do that. There's been numerous times in the last year, I mean, I could pick any year of my life, but there's been numerous times in the last year when I was praying about something or maybe wrestling through a decision that needed to be made and there'd be someone from my past or someone from here in the church that would call or they would text and they would say something that would be a 100% affirmation of what I had been processing through. Isn't that a coincidence? Don't you love those little coincidences? When you're on your knees praying for a decision that you need to make in your business and you get a text from someone you haven't talked to in two years and through that text they gave you an answer to something that you've been praying for, man, that, wow, isn't it just awesome that there's coincidences like that in life? Thank you for that timely word. How lucky. I am. No, that's God. That's God connecting you to a brotherhood and a sisterhood of believers and your presence and your words and your encouragement accomplish so much more than you can ever ask or imagine. Don't you believe that Saul and Peter, these guys are taking some really bold steps of faith. And you got a guy like Barnabas who comes and says, I'm here. I'm full of faith. I'm a man with good intentions. And I'm here to help breathe life into what it is that you are doing. See, if you're not connected to the team, If you're more interested in being a bystander than a brother, you may gloss over some of the things that the Lord's desiring to do. My goal in life is never to be a bystander. I don't want to just sit and watch the world go by. I want to link arms. And I hope and pray that that's your desire as well, to be a brother, to be a sister Because look at verse 25, because when we do that, this is exactly what happens. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. You see this there in your notes, but you will always go further faster when you don't go alone. You will always emphasis on always. (laughs) You will always go further faster when you do not go alone. And this is hard for many of us to understand. I think this is really hard for us to understand as Americans because we value individualism over collectivism. We like to be in charge. You know, we like to think that we are smart enough to figure everything out on our own. But the most incredible teams of which the church should be leading the way in is to realize that together we can do more than we can do by ourselves, it's why Jesus modeled sending out people two by two it's why Barnabas goes and finds Saul Barnabas a man with good intentions full of the Holy Spirit listening to faith opposed to listening to what the world would say it's why Jesus works in and through those moments and what happens what happened as a result of that you guys you guys know what happened as a result of that we're sitting here 2,000 years later unless I'm mistaken as a church that's made up of Gentiles We're sitting here 2,000 years later, even in the midst of COVID-19, even in the midst of global pandemic, the message of the gospel has not just taken a back seat. Even in the midst of trials and circumstances, the gospel has spread and the word has gone and it's not returned void. Who do we have to thank for that? We have the guys like Peter and Paul, Barnabas, God working through them, adding fuel to a fire. And we're here today Going out, still proclaiming the message of the gospel. But in this moment, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. How cool is this? Little Christ were first identified in a city that was a Greek city. How cool is that? Because you would probably think that the the first group of Christians, the little Christ, that they would that they would be called little Christ for the very first time in the most Jewish city, Jerusalem. No. They're called Christians the very first time in a Greek city that was filled with Gentiles. You go one step further, they receive word that a famine is getting ready to come. And what do this first century Christ followers do? Because they're serving together, because their lives have been impacted, people come to faith, and when they realize there's a need, what do they do? They dig into their pockets, and they give. Christ has transformed them. They hear about a need, and they give. And what did all of those around them look at? They looked at them, and they said, look at these little Christs, Christians, called Christians for the very first time because God had transformed them from the inside out. And they stood up, and they locked arms, and they said, this message is too important. This message is too life-giving for us to take The easy path but we will go whatever may come our way and we will share that message see when others look at your life who do they see when the folks in Antioch looked at these folks they they saw jesus through them and the message started to spread when people look at us who do they see do they see us being about ourselves do they see us being rogue do they see us as a group of people never meeting a need do they see us as a group of people not looking much like jesus Or do they see us as men and women living out our faith and allowing Jesus to impact every area of our life? See, the impact that we make together, I believe it's going to be largely determined by our desire to work together and to be faithful to him and be faithful to each other. It was Jesus' clearest mandate about how we should live. So what does it mean to live the way of Jesus as we close today? What does it mean to live the way of Jesus It means to not stand in the way? Of what jesus is doing but to join the way to not be in opposition but to join what it is that he's doing it also means to not waste the trials that we go through but to allow jesus to use those trials because those very trials will be what propels us into even deeper faith conversations it means to be a person who's present and whose words and encouragement are uh, what we choose to lean into first And then ultimately, it means to be a person that doesn't try to go at it alone, but that says we can go further, faster when we join in this together. I hope and pray that God would give each of us a sense of vision about how to do that today, and that we'll be faithful to follow in that call. Lord, thank you for this day. I thank you for this word that you've given us. I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us as we seek to be faithful to you. We're grateful, Lord, for who you are. We're grateful for all of your blessings, and we pray that... You would help us to be above all lord men and women that are sold out to you but as a result of our relationship with you that we would seek to to lock arms and be brothers and sisters to those that um, that we come in contact with this very day help us to realize that we go further faster help us to be people who meet needs first and help us to to just always rise to the occasion we're grateful lord for who you are And we thank you for meeting us here in this place. It's the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.